So Ephesians 1, we did uh, the introduction to Ephesians last week, and we got the whole picture of what Ephesus looks like and all the bad stuff that's going on there. We get the shipping trade, quarter of a million people, worshiping strange gods, this big temple built. We got all this crazy stuff going on. There's prostitution, there's child sex trafficking. I mean, this place is the epicenter of everything bad on the planet at the time. Richest city in the world that, at that point in history. It had been around for like 1,100 years. Crazy, crazy place. But what we're going to see when Paul introduces himself to Ephesus was that of all the other letters that you read, Paul is like, God bless you. All, all this bad stuff going on, Paul doesn't do that to Ephesus. He's like, hey, you guys are doing the church. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And he's excited because he loves them and he's got friends there and he's going to edify them and keep them going. Probably because those people were doing what church is supposed to be doing, which is loving each other and reaching people for the gospel in the midst of the absolute worst city in the world. So it's like if you planted a church in like Las Vegas in the midst of all the junk that's going on out there and they are just doing their very best and you go visit them and all the little minutiae that you disagree with, you're just like, eh, we won't talk about that. Let's just talk about all the great stuff that you're doing. So that's what Paul is going to do here. So um, when we start in Ephesians 1, this is really rich, the theology coming out of this stuff. So we're going to take it slow. So we're going to get through a whole one verse today. So I apologize if you leave here and you're like, man, we should have done more. But trust me, I'm going to speak as fast as I can, and it's a lot of stuff, one verse. Um, so in Ephesians 1, this is how Paul starts off. He says, Paul, so he's the author, this is how we know, because he recognizes himself as the author, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ. So <laughs> at face value, <laughs> excuse me, it doesn't seem like a lot. Like Paul's just saying hi. But there's a ton of stuff in this that as believers we need to recognize about Paul. How does it start? Paul calls himself an apostle. Is this important that Paul calls himself an apostle? Yes. It's really, really, really important. We talked about this in Galatians a little bit. As a theologian, which all of you are theologians, right? You study God. That's what we do. We're theologians. And you should be theologians because God loves us and we show our love for him by reading his love letter to us. And when we read his love letter, it means we're theologians. That's what it means. It means we study God. But this word apostle is really important because there's a lot of people saying they're apostles today. And I don't think they understand what the word means. So let's talk about that for a minute. So the word apostle comes from this Greek word, apostolos. Well, the word means sent out. And a lot of people will say that. If I'm sent out, then I can be an apostle. But it doesn't just mean that. It means a lot more. Context is king when you read the Bible. We were talking about this earlier, right? So context is king. Who uses the word apostle? So it's important to know that stuff. But it doesn't mean just sent, just sent out like a disciple. Because we're all sent. We're all sent out. Um, it's not just following a commission or some sort of precept. The word carries a really great weight with it. Just the definition of the word. It's a specific messenger, an envoy, or a delegate. It's like, it, you know, we have ambassadors that go to foreign countries, right? So if I send an ambassador there, who do they speak for? They speak for the president, specifically. They don't speak for themselves. That sort of sent out type of person, bless you, speaks for the president. So their 
words are very weighty. So not everybody that goes from the United States to say France can speak on behalf of the president, but the ambassador can. Does that make sense? That's what an apostle does. They are sent out specifically. That word is used 81 times in the Bible. So it's a word that's used a lot. So, and then context becomes how we use it because it is used sometimes as just sent out. So we need to figure out how, how it's used. So there are 12 apostles named in the Bible, right? 12 specific apostles named in the Bible by Jesus himself, Mark 3, Matthew 10, and Luke 6. If we look at the Matthew 10 version, this is what we get from Jesus. And he called, him, he called to him his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes allows Matthew to write this book by divine intervention, divine guidance. And he says, this is who apostles are, appointed by Jesus, right? So there are stories of up to 25 to 30 apostles existing in the first century. But it's only 13 who are called clearly by Jesus, specifically, right? Um, the first 12, whom we just read, and then Paul on the road to Damascus is called specifically by Jesus. And then the apostles, after Judas dies, feel as though they need to call another apostle. So they do what's called casting lots, and they call uh, Matthias to go with them. Casting lots, there's some debate over what that means and how they got it. So casting lots would be some sort of like betting type game, right? They cast lots over Jesus' clothes, right? Because the Roman guards just wanted his clothes or some sort of keepsake. So they cast lots. So it'd be like rolling dice or rolling the bones, right? But here's the thing. For biblical times, especially in Old Testament times, it's actually sanctioned. Like God sanctioned casting lots. It was actually a biblical spiritual precept. It wasn't like you and I casting lots over our paycheck, like, hey, if I go play craps and I roll the dice, like, I know Jesus is going to give me some money. <laughs> and like, I'll, boo, hey, I'm a millionaire. That's not what it was. This was deeply held in prayer for religious purposes, and it was to make large uh, spiritual decisions for the nation of Israel. We see a record of it in Numbers, in Joshua, and in Chronicles, and it's a means of getting a decision from God not to yourself, but actual spiritual guidance. And it's, it could be either like rolling a dice or like flipping a coin type thing. And uh, Matthias, specifically, we got to learn some things about him. How does he become actually called an apostle? Well, one, his name means gift of God. So pretty important name to have. He's one of the 70 sent out in Luke. So he's close to Christ already. He was a disciple he was close to the 12, and he was a witness of the resurrected Christ. Okay, so it looks like there's some sort of design that you need to follow to be called truly an apostle. All of the original 12 plus the one saw the risen Christ before anyone else. So the women saw him, but we're talking about the, the men who were apostles specifically. They all walked with him. They were all called by him. 
And then they all saw the risen Christ before he ascended into heaven. Paul saw the risen Christ as well, right? So we know when he met Paul on the road to Damascus, he physically saw Jesus. He blinded his eyes. He came in and gave him direct revelation. So we know that he sees him physically. He ministered to him for three years. 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul says, I saw the risen Christ. Paul will reference specifically three other people, which makes it difficult for us when we start to decide who can and can't be apostles. James, the lesser. And if you look at the original calling of the apostles, you have to kind of figure out how everybody fits in. That James is not James, that Jesus' brother. That's James, the other James. Or you walk to them, James the lesser, which would have been Jesus' brother, also fits in a weird spot, right? So James the lesser is Jesus' brother. Clearly walked with him, clearly knew him, slept in the bunk above or below him at some point. I would assume below because Jesus probably had an easy time getting in the top bunk. It was a joke, but yeah. Anyway, so, and then saw the resurrected Christ. But the funny thing about James was he didn't believe in Jesus until he saw the resurrected Christ. The, the words of the Bible are clear that he did not believe. Um, so out of those three, we have him. And then Barnabas and uh, Epaphroditus. And these two were not called by Jesus, but by Paul. So do they fit the mold? James saw the risen Christ. And we know this from 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Um, and we know this. The original 12 are called symbolically as the 12 tribes. So 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles called. Um, and the apostles... Uh, would call the other one out. We knew this, the Matthias. And Paul was called specifically by Jesus. James was called after Jesus' death. The other two, and possibly a few more, are messengers. And the context tells us that as they come as messengers. And it comes to do with learning a little bit about the Greek, and then it comes to the context of the words around it. Because you could say the word apostle, and it doesn't always mean one of these envoys. And there's uh, uh, some keys here that I'm going to give you. And even though a word study shows it as the same word, apostolos, the word, it's a noun, it's accusative, you are an apostle, and it's singular, and it's a masculine. So there's no te tense issues. But the word's an old Greek word, and this is what it's for. I told you about that word ambassador. This is what it represents in old times. It represented like an admiral of a fleet that would have been sent out to do a specific mission. If you know anything about the military, I know every single one of you does, like the big cheese, the flag, the general of the admiral, when they go out, they go out with presidential orders. So in this case, it would have been like the king sends an admiral of a fleet out to a country to conquer it. That admiral or that general goes out there with specific orders from them. He's sent. All the other people, they are also sent, but they are not the apostle. Does that make sense? They're not the, the big cheese. Um, it also it, it pertained to cargo ships. A cargo ship person who ran it, sent out with a specific cargo for a specific mission in a specific place. That's another way the word was used. Both of these are in secular Greek language, by the way. They're not religious. They are just the definition of the word. There's a secular Greek writer, uh, his name is Demosthenes, uh, and he uh, would represent ambassadors sent under specific authority from a king or from gods, because the Greek, Greeks had bunches of gods, right? If you could be a an ambassador of those gods. 
And um, using the word and adding it to specific calling of Jesus and a witness to his resurrection makes it a special office. So that's why for most of our contemporaries, we believe that the apostolic ministry does not exist anymore because those apostles were very specifically called by Christ for very specific missions. No more or no less than say any other disciple, but by itself specifically called by Christ for that mission. So we live in the South, the Bible, the, the buckle of the Bible belt, and you'll drive by a church and it'll say, you know, the church, it doesn't have pastors, it has apostles. Well, I, my question would be, did you see Jesus? <laughs> did you see him resurrected? Did you walk with him or walk with Paul? And if not, then you should probably change your sign to pastor or just mister or missus. There's a lot of that here too. Um, and then as we move on, we're going to look at a couple other words here because this is really interesting. So what makes it more interesting is that Paul says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. So when we think about this, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. So not just I'm an apostle in the general sense, but if I'm sent by the king, now I say, hey, I'm coming as a messenger. Oh, by the way, that's the king. I'm coming of Jesus Christ. And this becomes really interesting. This word that uses here, when he uses the word Christ, along with that word apostles, this word Christos, when you stick them together, of Christ, utilizes the word of and the word Christos give the impression of literally belonging to Jesus Christ. It's possessive. So it tells us when he says he's coming from him, because I can get a message from my boss at work, but he, I don't belong to him. He's just sending me out. The way that the language reads here is Paul is saying, I belong to him, and he's sending me out. It's possessive, if that makes sense. He's not just sending him as any messenger. He's sending him as a very personal messenger of him, this literally belonging to he didn't name himself an apostle or choose himself as a messenger for the king. He is of Christ. He is chosen by Christ as an ambassador or an emissary for a specific message. <clears throat> now, if we start finishing up this first verse, we're going to see God's plan for salvation, including the office of the apostles. It's the will of God that the apostles are sent here for us, right? It's part of God's plan for us. And like Paul, they're sent out on specific missions as emissaries. And they'll deliver this message to the world as it goes around the planet and eventually gets to us here in Pinehurst, North Carolina. All part of God's original will, as we read here. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is all God's plan since before the foundations of time, God said, I'm going to set up this plan for the world to get the word of God from me. I'm going to use Jesus as the specific messenger, as the specific propitiation, as the savior of the world. And then I'm going to use apostles sent of him to go spread it around the planet. And this is where we get that specific by the will of God. And as we discussed last week, this letter isn't one of rebuke. I said it a little bit earlier. It's mostly encouragement. There's going to be a lot of instruction. We're going to shift gears after the uh, end of uh, the third chapter. And we're going to go from our indicatives into our imperatives, right? Indicatives is the first three. And then imperatives is the last three. So indicatives is 
what Christ has done for us, what God has done for us. He indicates exactly who he is in our lives and where we are in him or of him. And then we shift as we get to chapter four through chapter six and it's imperatives. It's imperative that we respond in this manner. This is how we live, walk, act, and love as believers and Christians in him because we are of him. So it creates an intentional response in our lives that we can't even choose. I mean, there's some of this we can choose, but overwhelmingly the Holy Spirit lives in us, so we act out as a result of the Spirit living in our lives, right? And this letter specifically is not to a church per se, but directly to believers. Paul just writes to them, to you who believe, right? He uses the word saints here. As we read this again, an apostle of, of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. And this becomes important as well. And this is why it's, this verse is so slow because there's so much piled up in it. And when he gets into this, this word saint here, it's in what's called the dative form. And this is kind of weird. And I know this is, might be a little nerdy, but just bear with me for one second. As we look at this word saint, hyaos, it means holy one or consecrated. So we don't need an organization to tell us who saints are. I mean, saint so-and-so or saint so-and-so, that's all well and good. We, the church, are believers. We are saints. We are holy ones, right? We are made holy by him, consecrated, set aside from the world. Now, remember, Paul is set aside. We use a different name for him. He set himself aside, and that's a Pharisee, right? And so this word saint means set aside, but it means set aside for a specific purpose by Christ. So he is an apostle specifically chosen of God as an emissary to those who are set aside in the area at Ephesus, his holy ones. These saints, by the way, and this is important why it's dative. In, in language, when you break words down and they have like, you know, masculine and feminine and plural and all that kind of stuff, dative is a tense that means possessive. I don't know if any of your English majors are like, I didn't like that in school, but this is all just stuff you can get freely on the internet, so it makes it easy for me. But the word dative is possessive. It's like that, um, when you learn that stuff in like the third grade, you start to learn how something becomes yours in the English language. So possessive. So dative is possessive. So these saints are owned by Christ. Does that make sense? They're not just set aside. They're not just set aside for something or to something. They're set aside because they belong to Jesus Christ and they are in him. They are faithful in him because they are literally in his holiness. And he says here to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. They are literally hundreds of verses that support this living in or being in or faithful in Jesus Christ. Right, we have Romans 8.1. It says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's now a new creation. The oldest passed away, behold, the new has come. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's this spot in John 15 that if you want, turn with me and we'll read that and then we'll wrap up. In John 15 and 
verse 1. Bear with me. We're going to read 11 verses and then we're going to close. 11 verses, okay? John 15, 11 verses. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you un- unless you abide in me. See, in a, you see this a, a theme going on here, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There's this really cool picture of we abide in him and he lives in us. It's this super intimate relationship that cannot be done here in the temporal. Like even with the best marriage in the world, I can't live in Carol and her in me, although we dwell together and love one another and are intimate with one another. There's you, and it's a representation of what, you know, our relationship as the church is with Christ. That's what marriage is. It's that representation of that bond. It's still, we're, we're not even close yet. Like we can't get there. Christ is saying, I want you, want, I want you in me and I want to live in you. This extremely intimate, passionate, unbelievable, loving representation of what our lives with him are supposed to be our desires should pour out of us that are his desires right we change we are a new creation is essentially uh what what paul said in corinthians and we must be able to discern the truth in christ okay and there's something that came up most recently that i want to talk to you about and caitlin's going to pull the kids out just for a second if you will and if you young guys want to grab some chalk, Kaylin's going to pull them out into the driveway and let them draw on the driveway. And I'm going to play a little video for you so we can talk about how important it is when we are in him that we create some discernment in our lives. Because this video, if you haven't seen it yet, it might change your perspective of what the world is trying to do to us and around us. So I've got this thing pulled up here. I'm going to turn it in your direction. Um, can you swing that thing closed? Oh, you, oh, never mind. Sorry. Uh, yeah, get out, would you? Yeah, can you move faster? Oh, baby, that's good. Okay. Uh. As we celebrate pride on the progress we've made over Okay. 
So I'm going to play this video. I'm going to play this video for you. If, I mean, if you can't see it, get to a spot you can. And I'm not going to play the whole four minutes. I'm just going to play a little bit. Let's get the volume up. And I just want you to listen to what they say, and then we'll discuss it for a second. Have you seen this? This is, if it doesn't make you angry, you stick around. I'll make more coffee, and we'll talk about it. As we celebrate pride in the progress we've made over these past years, there's still work to be done. So to those of you out there who are still working against equal rights, we have a message for you. You think we're sinful? You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Fine, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. You can keep them from disco, warn about San Francisco. Make him wear pleated pants, we don't care. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. At first I didn't get why you'd be so scared of us turning your children into accepting, caring people, but I see now why you'd have a problem with that. Just like you worried, they'll change their group of friends. You won't approve of where they go at night. coming for them. So I don't know how you feel about this. There's a part of me. So I'm a Vermonter by nature. I was born a Vermonter. Um, so little, little part hippie by birth, you know, not much I can do about it. Sorry. And not afraid to love people that aren't like me. Not afraid at all. Not afraid at all. Don't care. Don't care what your walk of life is. At one point I walked with all of them. I was as dirty as they come. But I'll tell you where it becomes really, really personal for me. When we live in him, we start to discern what in the world is not good for us or for our families. And this thing is clear. They are coming for our kids. And they use words like love and tolerance. Would it be loving and tolerant if I went across the street to my gay neighbor's house to their adopted kids and taught their kids not to like their parents and their way of life? What would they call me then? They would call me homophobic and they would call me a hater and they would say that that's their private life and I don't have a right in it. Well, here, let's turn the tables. This is my private life. These are my kids and I bring my kids up the way I want to bring my kids. I believe is godly and spiritually correct and follows the precepts set forth in the Bible. I disagree with them. And you know what? They can live their own life and I will love them 
and respect them in that. But this is very clear. They want your kids to believe what they believe. And that's not That is, I'm going to change their mind into something that we know is ungodly. If you want to have the argument that the gay lifestyle and the gay world is okay in the Bible, I will clear it up for you here. It is not. There's this big argument that says Jesus never said it. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, the word homosexual did not exist at the time. They spoke, spoke Koine Greek. They didn't use that word. They used other things like sexual perversion. And it was all encompassing of things that were outside of marriage. It was clear. Christ was clear. He even references Adam and Eve. <laughs> he, he built marriage between a man and a woman for us. He even built marriage for us because we just couldn't have regular relationships with people without screwing that up. He gave that to us. The world is coming for our kids. We must be in him. We must live in him and have him in us. And that should manifest in front of our families, in front of our kids in ways that are really honest. And here's why I bring this up, because this came a couple weeks ago and I've kind of let it pass a little bit. And my kids are a little older and they've been you know, in and out of high school and college and they've seen a lot of the kind of the stuff that's going on out there. Colleges, by the way, are, it is unreal what's going on in colleges. Um, they are not just attempting to subversively get your kids. They are telling your kids that what they learned in their home is wrong and that they are homophobic, Islamophobic, um, that they hate people. I mean, that little girl out there with those kids has probably never hated anybody in her life. She's like the sweetest little girl in the world and she gets to college and people tell her she's a racist because she disagrees with some of the Marxist stuff going on out there. To which her response was, I can't be a racist because I'm Native American. Which now they, they, they change on you. This is how Marxists work. Oh, well, then you should understand. Hmm. Right, right, right. So because I can't understand because so I was born without all the melanin. I was Sorry, pretty white. But this is why we abide in him. And when Paul presents himself to this church, as an apostle, he's coming from God to the saints. That's who we are. Set aside. Think about that for a second. When the community tells you everything that you're doing is hateful and wrong, you just got to remember, I'm not like them. I'm set aside. They're going to hate me. They're not going to like me for who I am. It's, you can't just be okay with it. You have to actively in your home love your kids. It's your first ministry. It's hard to get your neighbors on, on the same track. And I've tried. I've talked to thousands of people and shared my faith. And 99.9% .9 of the time, they're like, cool, man. Like, gotcha. Don't care. So I'm not trying to convert people. The Holy Spirit has to do that work. I'll share my faith with them. And what I believe is the Holy have it because it has manifested itself in my life in some really temporal, amazing, miraculous ways. Change everybody. But the thing that I can do while living in him as a saint is I can teach my kids that where that hope lies. And that hope lies in, in Christ and in Christ alone. And we can't let this stuff get inside of our walls. So I guess by that, I bring this up this morning on the 
heels of this message is like, you know, check those locks. I mean, not physically check the locks. I know you guys do that already. I know you all patrol the house twice a night, but just make sure you're doing in your home what you need to do because they're coming for your kids. We will convert them. This is one of the biggest gay choirs in the nation. It's not a mistake. And it was not subversive. It was overt. And, and, and I'm not going to stand for it. So I'm going to speak about it more. I'm not proud to speak about it. I, I think it's horrible. But I'm worried. I'm worried about kids this age. Because he's going to grow up in a world 20 years from now where it's going to be worse. They burned like 74 churches in Canada last week. Now, I know there's some stuff. They found some grave sites and stuff. And, I, you know, I had a buddy contend with me on it. It has nothing to do with the virus. Look, here's the, here's the kicker. They have proven over the last year they hate Christians in Canada. Proven it. They've been locking up pastors and building fences and putting mounties up around churches. They don't care about Christians. As a matter of fact, I think we can go easily and say they hate us. There you go. We're the minority. That's what saints are. We're the set-aside ones. We're the minority. So my prayer for you today is just, I, look, if I can be an encouragement, just stay on the grind with those kids, man. It's tough. I know it's tough. Vody Bauckham's advice is, you know when you stop being a parent? Never. Trust me, you don't. My parents stopped parenting me because uh, I moved out of the house at 17. I'm not going to stop parenting these kids. The world is after them. They are after them. And I'm going to be a champion for them until I can't anymore. So that's my encouragement for you today is just uh, read the book in front of your kids. Live an active, loving lifestyle with your spouse in front of your kids. When you can't live an active, loving lifestyle in front of your kids, pray in front of your kids, right? Take that time to know that you don't know everything and pray in front of them over your wife. Over your wife. Put your hands on her for your wife not for you for your wife not that she'll be a better wife and a better mother and a better cook and a better cleaner but that you'll be a better husband and that you hope that what she can receive from you is more sacrifice pray over your wife that's what strengthens your home right so that's my encouragement for you today so the rest of the message of Ephesians is really positive this morning was a little tough but I, I think it goes without saying that we just need to be ready. We need to just stay on the grind with this and make sure that we're protecting our kids because they are coming to convert our kids. So pray with me if you will, and then we'll uh, finish the coffee. So Father, we just thank you for who you are, and uh, we thank you from this, for this letter from Paul to Ephesians. Um, and we just hope that we learn tons of rich information out of it that helps us in our walk, Lord, that it's applicable uh, and that we're able to take bits and pieces of it with us in our walk and be a light to people, that we're able to be uh, useful in our home. We raise our kids to understand that they are saints, that they are set aside, that they are set aside um, as missionaries for you, Lord, um, that the walk's going to be tough, that people are going to be out there to um, stumble them, to mess them up, to knock them down, but that even though they do fall down, Lord, you are there. Uh, we know um, from Genesis 4 that that sin, it's crouching at the door like a lion. It's getting ready to pounce on us all the time. 
but we're going to be ready, Lord, because we're going to stay in you, Lord. We know that you live in us. Uh, We want to abide in you, abide in your love, abide in your faithfulness, uh, abide in that light that you pour out over us that keeps us safe, healthy, happy, and ready to share the hope that lies within us with anyone that we see, Lord. And we just thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. And we pray in his holy name. Amen.